Good morning. (laughs) Hope you're feeling well today. The last couple of weeks we've been looking at having a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we started off by talking about the connectivity, how you and I have got to be connected to the vine. And last week we circled around over in John chapter 11 to another very familiar passage and talked about those moments in our lives when, uh, well, things aren't going so well. And we reach out and we pray and we ask God, God, would you, would you intervene? Would you do something in my life? This is, something's got to go. This is, this marriage is falling apart. My finances are messed up. I mean, I mean, my health is breaking down. What, whatever it may be, whatever scenario, only to find out that during that time you're asking, things go from bad to worse to impossible. And we looked at that scenario. Many times that can cause us if we don't have genuine faith to really start crumbling under the pressure. A faith not trusted uh, or tested is a faith that you really can't, that can't be trusted. And that's important for us to understand. Now today, I want us to take a third step together. Would you grab your Bibles and head over there to the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, and today I want to circle around and talk about another very important principle when it comes to, for real, having a real relationship with the Lord Jesus. Hey, and and this is no light topic. We're talking to church people. I mean, you're in church today, and uh, in, in doing so, we're all just spending a few moments, pastor included, going back and looking at our relationship with Christ. Is it real? Is it genuine? Now, when you come to Luke chapter number 17, you see that Jesus is circling around for the last time up through that northern area of Galilee. And he's going to head back down for the last time. It's late in his ministry, probably about two years, maybe four, uh, well, probably closer to six months, maybe two and a half years in. But he's circling back around. He's going to head down to Jerusalem for the final time. He'll make that triumphal entry. He'll be... Uh, crucified on the cross. He'll be put in a tomb. Uh, Days later, he'll be ascended. But as he makes that final journey, if you will, up through the area of Galilee, he has to come near the border of, well, it's a bad word for the Jewish community. It's Samaria. And there's a group of Samaritans that right there on that border area are going to reach out to him. And today we're going to be reading kind of a unique passage and that it's only mentioned in the Bible one place and that is unique when it comes to the Gospels. Because in the Gospels, many times the same stories are told two, three, four times from different perspectives. If I were to grab four of our guys, take them on a deer hunting trip and we all sit around the fire when we come back and I say, I want you to tell me about that deer hunting trip. We all went on the same trip, but you would get four different perspectives. And so often that's what you have in the Gospels, but not on this occasion. As we begin reading in Luke chapter 17 and verse number 11, we're going to be reading the only account of this moment in the entire Bible. It's only Luke that records it for us. I want you to follow along with me as we begin reading these five or six verses that really communicate something that's very important for us today on this third step of really looking at our faith in a very close upfront way. Here's what the Bible says, Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria 
and Galilee. And he was going into a village. Uh, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Master or Jesus Master, have pity on us. And when, they, and when he saw them, he said, now go and show yourselves uh, to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Were all, uh, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except the foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. There are two words right here that we've got to recognize as carrying heavyweight punching power. The word Samaritan and the word leper. Those two words uh, really were two of the most hated words in Jewish vocabulary. Samaritans were half Jews, half some other uh, uh, ethnicity. And at least in, in the Jewish minds, they had a little Jewish blood in them, but they had abandoned them hundreds of years before in a long historical feud. And so in, in their minds, Samaritans were terrible people. They were the scum of the earth. In fact, a Jew would go miles out of his way not to let any dust in Samaria settle on his sandals or his feet. They had nothing to do with the Samaritans. And then when you couch that in probably the most dreaded disease of this day and time in first century, leprosy, Man, you have a double whammy in the scripture. I want you to notice down there in verse number 17 and 18, Jesus asked three questions. Jesus, first of all, asked a fact question. Did I not heal 10 men? And obviously we have the answer is yes. Luke says the Lord healed 10 of them. And then he asked a second question. Where are the other nine? Great question. And then almost a, a question in commentary, form, in commentary form, look in verse 18, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, when we talk about leprosy, we know lepers were truly despised. They were alienated, social outcasts. In fact, they had to wear a bell around their neck and when they walked or moved about anywhere, that bell would begin to ring. Inside the caves, inside of these isolated areas where they lived, they didn't have to wear them. But when they got out even near people in, in a public setting, they had to wear this bell to warn people as they got close to them, hey, a leper is near. In fact, we know that lepers historically lived very near what we would know as a garbage dump or places that we would say are recycling venues now. I mean, uh, that's about the only places lepers could go in terms of food and gathering things. But uh, what's so fascinating about this to me, one of the things that's so fascinating is how did these lepers even get close enough to the Lord Jesus to get his attention? 
It's, it's interesting, isn't it? The Bible says in verse 14 or, or, or in verse 13, and they, and, and, and they called out in a loud voice. I wonder if they got together and said, hey guys, what, what is there, 10 of us here? Let's all on three, one, two, three, we're gonna shout Jesus master in unison. I don't know where they just kind of, in some kind of spontaneous way, began to shout at the top of their lungs and started waving their hands to try to get his attention. But regardless, they did get Jesus' attention. And in doing so, Jesus did an incredible miracle. He said, just in a faith walk, I want you to go now. And you head immediately in the prescribed way by law. You had to see a priest in order to show that you were cleansed. No more markings of this terrible leprosy. And here they were, <coughs> excuse me, broken people. People that had all kinds of social change. They, they had gone from a normal lifestyle to a situation of completely being outcast. Think about that. No more marketplace. No more true relationships with those that, that were close to. And on their way, many of them, no, all of them, the Bible says, were healed. What an incredible moment. I stopped to just begin to ponder. I mean, can you imagine the journey there? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, think about this. They're making their way to the priest somewhere in between where Jesus said you're going to be healed and the time that they get to the priest, all of a sudden, we know some of the most common marks of leprosy are the appendages begin to rot and fall off. I mean, can you imagine a guy walking along there, getting closer and closer to the priest? He looks down at all of those little wraps around his hands and he begins to feel something different and he pulls them off and the three fingers that had been eaten off in previous years by leprosy have regrown and his hand is, hey, my hand's back, guys. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, I know I'm weird. You're looking at me like I'm weird. You know I'm weird. I'm the only guy that asks those kind of questions. I mean, I'm just wondering, as these 10 make their way to the priest, I wonder about things that probably other people don't. I mean, I mean, a number of you are okay today with just accepting the fact Jesus said it, it happened, the Bible records it, that's it. For me, I ask those strange questions. What was it like? I mean, is it possible that one of them's going along and says, look, look at my hand, and the other one looks at him and says, your hand, dude, that part of your nose that was rotted off, it's back. You're still ugly, but it's back. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, think about the power pack moments. I mean, this was no, <laughs> this was no small feat. This is a big deal. I mean, this is not, <coughs> excuse me, one leper. This is a thirst moment. This is a big, big deal. And I don't know about you, but if I had leprosy and I had lived that way for a number of years and somebody came along and they healed me, I would be extremely, extremely thankful. And as you look at these verses today, I just want to talk to you heart to heart about something. I believe personally, you'll have to have your own developed belief system. I think that these 10 lepers all felt thankful. I don't believe there's a single one of them that got to the priest healed on that day. The priest looks at him and says, hey, head on back to your family. Man, you don't have a mark or scratch of leprosy on you, dude. You're clean. He takes that hyssop. 
He takes that symbolic way the priest does and says, hey, cleanse. They're officially, sanctimonially, sin on. And in that moment, wow, I think all 10 of them felt thankful. But today I want you to understand that I think the Lord Jesus took this and perceived this moment much differently than we do several thousand years later because we process being thankful in a different way. In fact, in our culture, I believe that you and I probably have the misconception society has brought us to that place, our environment has brought us to that place, that we think feeling thankful is the same thing as expressing thankfulness. And I want you to know that those two concepts are worlds apart. If we could accomplish that one thing today, when you leave here to understand that just because I feel thankful, that does not mean that I am expressing thankfulness. We will have accomplished a very great feat when it comes to real, genuine faith. Because you see, as we're going to talk about just in a moment, expressing thanks takes energy and it takes intentionality. It is an act. In one sense, it's an acknowledgement for you and I to move from the gift, whatever God's given us that we're thankful for, whatever anyone's given us, Whatever blessing is bestowed upon us, moving from the gift to focus our attention on the giver, giving that giver credit, honor, glory, all of that needs to go to the giver. That's the act of expressing thankfulness. And let's be honest today, man, we are some thankful people, or we should be, shouldn't we? We got a lot of things to be thankful for. I noticed the parking lot out here was full today. I didn't see any of you jogging up here walking in the 28-degree weather this morning, most of you have some kind of nice ride. Look around this room. Most of you, apart from some minor challenges for the most part, you're healthy. You live in the most affluent nation in all of the world. Think about that. I mean, in just a moment, the biggest argument in the car leaving here is that where are we going to have lunch? Why do you always ask me that on Sunday? Where do you want? I want Mexican. I want steak. I want this. No, we're just going to eat at home. I don't want to eat at home. I mean, I mean, we are arguing over where we're going to feed ourselves. When a mission trip today to India would reveal that six out of ten people in India don't have anything to eat today. You think we're Thankful people, blessed people. Wow. But Jesus' response is different. I want you to see that and feel that today. You go back to this text, and Jesus is in verse 17 and 18 and 19. He's just taken back by this. This shows you how big a thing it was. All oh, the act itself of healing the men. Hey, Jesus has brought back people at this point in his ministry from death to life. I mean, Jesus has calmed seas. Jesus has brought blindness to its knees and healed people from being, I mean, he's done all kinds of miracles, but to heal 10 men of leprosy at one time. Jesus knew this was no small feat. And in the aftermath of that celebration where that priest 
proclaimed them clean. They ripped those bells from their neck and they said, man, we're headed back. Get all these old rags off of us. We need to get some new clothes. One man and one man only. And Luke makes a big deal to tell us not just any man, but a Samaritan. A former leper and a Samaritan of all people is the only one that makes his way back to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself, to say, I just want to say how thankful I am to the giver. And you see, you and I don't see it that way. Because from an early age, we teach our children, our grandparents drill us, our parents drill us, that from a very young age, we're taught to tell people thank you. In fact, we're made to tell, amen to that. We, we make our children say amen, don't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, when we, we're not gonna let our kids be unthankful people. So it's like you call mama and you thank her for that $20 bill she sent you for your birthday. Call her right now. Well, I don't want to call her. And then the parent has to stand there and say, okay, little Johnny's got something to tell you, mom. Uh, all right, say it. And so that's how it starts, isn't it? It's, it's, it's ingrained in us to say what? Thank you. Then we get up there in high school and all of a sudden a verbal thank you is not enough. And the parent says, hey, 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 high school graduation time. Look at all these. You're going to write what? A thank you note. And for the rest of our lives, there it is. We go from just verbal thank yous to written thank yous because we understand something, don't we? Hey, it's impolite. We understand it's inconsiderate. It's socially inappropriate for someone to do something for us and us not take the time to say what? Thank you. But did you sense that this was a bigger deal for Jesus than just a social connection? We know it's a bigger deal because when you look down at the questions that he asked, notice that last question, has no one returned to give praise? What are those next two words? No one came back to praise God. You know that Jesus' favorite term for himself was what? Son of man. He referred to himself more as son of man than any other term in the Bible. But here it's interesting. Jesus didn't say, isn't that something, guys, talking to old Peter? I bet old Peter bowed up. Boy, boy, he was, boy, Lord, you should, you ought to, you ought to put leprosy back on those other nine. I mean, can you, I mean, can you imagine the chatter among the disciples as they're moving on now closer to Jerusalem? These guys were healed and only one found them and came back and took time to thank them. I mean, I mean, think about that. But when Jesus responded with these questions, it's a telltale moment. He didn't say, hey, only one came back to the Son of Man. He said only one came back to even thank their God. Jesus is referring to himself and the Father. He's referring to himself in a, in a spiritual dimension. I mean, I mean, if it would just been a social thing, Jesus could have said, well, oops, those guys need to be a little more considerate or oh, shucks, man, those guys should have come back. But did you notice he's, he's, he's distressed. He is disturbed and shocked and flabbergasted here because at the very essence of the question lets us know, hey, this is a big deal to our Lord. 
what I want you to hear today is this. When you and I are not thankful people, and we don't go back to the giver of all these blessings, it matters. It matters. You know, when you take your New Testament and just walk through the New Testament, you get to the book of Romans, you come to the very first chapter, all about halfway down, God begins to reveal in the book of Romans how he had created all these things. And then it says this, every man, every woman, every child can see who God is by just merely looking at all of the created things around them. And then it says, but mankind did not even, they weren't even thankful. You come in Paul's writing to Ephesians chapter five and in verse five, verses, verses one through four, you have this litany, verse three and four especially, of one big sin after another. Then at the end of verse four, an interesting little statement Paul makes in Ephesians five. He says, you know, but all these things might have been except for thanksgiving. Paul lets us on a little secret of how important Thanksgiving is in our lives. He says, you know, it's hard for someone to fall into these treacherous sins if they have the heart of humility and thanksgiving toward the giver that has given them all things. It's amazing how your behavior cleans up when you have a heart of thanksgiving. You get over there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we have these incredible words about thanksgiving. Be, be thanksgiving in all things at all times. And then Paul again links the importance of a holy life to thanksgiving. I just want to encourage you today. As I talked to that first service of believers this morning, we had a great service. Man, they were in it to win it today. Most of the time, half of them are asleep. Today, only four people slept. It's amazing. The best record ever. But man, people were in tune. And we talked about the importance of us coming to that place in our lives where it's not so much about the gift. It's not so much, hey, I'm healed, no more bail. It's, hey, I've got this. But it's the act, the intentional act of going back to the giver and saying, my God, I am so thankful to you for who you are in my life. Now grab your little outline with me today and I want us to review together and get all the blanks filled in at one time. And what I want us to do is just take a moment today and let's separate our focus on the gift of all the blessings that you have in your life. If you take just a moment with me and do a self-inventory, maybe you're sitting by your spouse today, the sweetie of your life. Valentine's Day is coming up. And you'd say, hey, one of the great blessings in my life, Pastor, is my wife, is my husband. Maybe even reach over there and grab their hand. Give it a good squeeze today. Or maybe you're thankful for your health. And I know, students, this is hard to even think about. Maybe you're thankful, I know, for your parents, at least for just a moment. But as we do so, there's a couple things I want you to jot down. First of all is this, as we focus on the gift the very gifts around us, it's important that you and I understand that real thanksgiving is the expressing thanks. It takes energy and intentionality. And that, isn't that what we're trying to teach 
Isn't that what the Bible teaches? That, hey, guys, the nine lepers that were thankful that they were healed, hey, that warm feeling, that humble moment when you say, gosh, I'm healed. I'm so thankful. I'm not suggesting they didn't feel it. We don't know that. We're, we're drawing conclusions here that if we were in that situation, we would certainly be thankful. But you understand, real thanksgiving is the expression of that back to the very giver. And that kind of act takes energy and intention out and intentionality. The second thing I want us to jot down is this. When you, I, you and I began spiritually to assess the things that we were thankful for, not physical things, husband, wife, house, shelter, food, transportation, clothing, whatever it may be. But when we come back spiritually, we are reminded that if we have real faith, that you and I are thankful first and foremost for the very covenant that we have with God through our forgiveness. And then in that new covenant with him, we began to see, hey, we've got a spiritual gift or two or three. There's gifts that he gives us. There's this new life and there's a new true relationship with a notice I gave a personal, this is your savior. If we're talking about your faith and we're talking about my faith, then the my pronoun here is so appropriate. That's the gift side of things. But what about the giver? I jotted these two things down. The ability to say I've accepted the gift and now I choose to acknowledge the giver. In this case, capital G. Our God is the giver of all things. And then our willingness to bring all credit, honor, and glory, all of those things go to the giver himself. Wow. How long has it been since you've gone to your Heavenly Father and said, Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful. You and I ingest these blessings on a daily basis but how often do we go to the giver and say, Lord, I am so thankful. And this is a big deal to our Lord. It wasn't so much about the power to heal 10 men at one time. It was the fact that nine of them chose not to come back to their God and even acknowledge a volitional choice, an action to say, God, thank you. See, a real relationship with, a, with, with our Heavenly Father begins to refocus our priorities. It's not so much the tangible, but it's more about the relational. Real faith is represented by those that have a relationship in the Lord Jesus that are responsive to him because we go back and we say, Lord, I'm so thankful for the gifts that you've given me. But Lord, what I'm coming back to communicate to you is that all the honor and all the glory and all of the credit, it goes to you. You know, in just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a time of what we know as Lord's Supper, communion. 
You know, what's interesting to me is Luke, as he writes this account, really had no idea that Paul was going to be recording part of the instructions for us about the Lord's Supper. And I want you to hear, and we'll read these in just a moment as we enter into the Lord's Supper. But Paul wrote these words over in the book of Corinthians. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord on that night was betrayed. He took bread. And when he had, listen, when he had given thanks. Right there in the middle of the very instructions on communion, Paul highlights how important it was for our Lord and Savior in the upper room just before his death to take time to be a thanksgiving individual, expressing thanksgiving. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. I just know in my own life, there are so many areas that I have done a poor, poor job of expressing my thankfulness back to the original giver of all the blessings in my life. There are those moments when I, time and time again, should have gone back and said, hey, sir, thank you for the difference that you made right here in my life. Oh, I was thankful for what you did. I had that internally going on. I, I felt that. I was grateful. But in terms of having an act of thankfulness, being intentional, and bringing again the praise and credit and honor and glory to you for doing that, uh, I just did not come to that place in my life. And Father, for those areas, I just... Uh, ask that you would speak into our hearts today. We're quick to receive the gifts, the blessings. We're quick to enjoy the bounty of all that you've done, all your creation, your relationship that you've allowed us to enter into because of the huge expense of your own son's life. Father, in so many situations, we have taken that for granted. And so, Father, I just pray today that you would lead us into a place where we can be individuals that are much more, much more apt to say, hey, I would never enjoy or take this gift without taking time to go back to the very giver and just saying, hey, uh, thank you. Father, there's some here today that would say in their lives, hey, it's been a long time. In fact, I can't even remember how long it's been since I have gone back to my Lord and my Savior. And just with the simplicity of a heart that's weighted down and thankful with this enormous thought of how the Lord Jesus saves us, gives us eternal life so that we can spend all of eternity with him. Father, that gift alone is more than worthy of us falling to our knees today and just saying, oh God, thank you. Father, would you drive us back to the very foot of that cross 
Whereas our Lord stretched out his hands and they nailed his feet and his hands to those wooden beams. To think about all of the sins for all of eternity, past, present, future. All of the weight of that, those sins upon our Savior were just too much for him to bear. And so in the physical dimension of who he was, he gave up as a ransom his own life to die for those very sins. And Lord, man, do we do our share of sinning. We were born as sinners. We inherited that from generation past. But just at a very young age, we began biting off one sin after another and certainly doing our part. And so, Father, there's not one of us, no, not one, that should not be just overwhelmed with thankful hearts today that our Savior has forgiven us. Across each of those transgressions has been written in crimson, in bloody red, forgiven. And Father, as we come back to that cross today, we come and we start by just saying, Oh God, we bring you the very honor at the foot of this cross in a place that the world means for punishment that the world means to embarrass people that the world sees as a criminal Lord you chose to give up your life as a ransom and so Father at the foot of this cross we first and foremost bring you honor and Father we come today and say you are to receive all the credit if there be a great man of God in this place, maybe great in his field of medical technology, maybe an educator or a coach, maybe a great businessman in this place today, a man that would say, man, God's allowed me to be a great husband and a great father. Father, I pray today that each of the men that are here in this time of worship would come to that place to understand that today we need to give all the credit to our Lord. If there be but one good thing that comes from our human lives, let that credit go to the Lord Jesus Christ. If there be a student, there be a lady that's here today and there be one incredible supernatural thing that they're able to bring to planet Earth to make a difference in lives around them. Let today them fall to their knees and say, Lord, you might get the credit. And then finally, as we come and we worship the very giver of all things, Father, we finally say that to you be the very glory, honor, credit, and glory that your name might be magnified. You are a great God. So, Father, as we prepare for this time of Lord's Supper or communion, I pray that uh, if there be a sin or a transgression in our life today that has gone unconfessed, that while you have us still in the quietness of this moment, as we meditate upon who you are in your word, 
that we might at this moment take this opportunity to say, Lord, you know this transgression in my life. So today I ask and I bring it before you as if I'm smart enough to conceal it, as if I'm good enough to hide it. Lord, you already know about it. It's already been exposed to you, but you're just waiting for me to bring it to you and to ask for your forgiveness, your cleansing. And Lord, I do that today with a broken heart. If there might be a relationship that is broken, that Father, this would be the place that we would make a commitment to to restart, to re-energize, to rebuild, to reconstruct with your help and your authority and your power. Maybe in some cases that we need to go and just again ask for forgiveness. An act of humility. So Father, as you're preparing our hearts now, we want to spend a few more moments with you today in this time of communion and covenant that we just call the Lord's Supper. Something that we just go back to that upper room experience when you took the bread, you took the cup. Father, it matters not what shape the elements are in or how it's packaged or whether it's pandemic safe or not. It's just us being able to reconnect with whatever simple elements there are. Because, Father, that takes us back. And we know that thanksgiving is really what takes us back to the sacredness of these moments. Would you allow us to do that right now, Lord? To express our thanksgiving to you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you look this way, I know there are several of you that are guests with us today. And we're so thankful that you've come. And maybe when you walked into this place and you saw communion and candles, you thought, oh my gosh, that makes me feel so uncomfortable. And to be honest with you, if I wasn't a believer and hadn't been around church all my life, that's exactly how I would have felt. Growing up in this church, I was thrilled to have the Lord's Supper because I knew we were getting out early that day, okay? So I was thrilled with that. And you're going to get out early too. So, uh, But if you're a guest, I just want you to understand something. When we have at our church communion, we have what we call open communion. You could go right up here. One of my good friends pastors at a church on the loop up here called the Missionary Baptist Church. They would not invite you if you, and I'm not throwing rocks at them. That's just how they believe. This is a church covenant. And it is somewhat of a church covenant, but Southern Baptists, for the most part, take a little more open view of this that we believe in heaven there's going to be some Methodists there. Can you believe that? We believe there may be a few people from Moberly there, just a very few, but you know, maybe one or two from New Beginnings, and maybe some from that Bible church over there. We actually believe that. And so we have open communion. That means if you're here and you're not a member of our church, we invite you to have communion with our church family and the Lord. It's kind of like, we want to ask you to the blanket to have a picnic with us and we've got plenty in the basket for you but it's not our basket it's the lord's basket and so we'll open it together and so that's what open communion is all about so in just a moment i'm going to turn you loose and you're going to be able to come to one of these tables 
And uh, I'm going to ask that you take one of these little cups. They're pandemic safe. Last time, uh, we're going to go back to much more traditional means after this service uh, in the coming months. But uh, to take that and just bring it back to your chair and sit there because I'm going to lead us in taking the elements together today, a little bit different. And so as you're ready, you need to stretch your legs anyway. I'm going to ask you, that's going to be audience participation, okay? I'm going to go over to this table with you. It's, It's okay. It's not dangerous. Just don't touch the open flames, okay? Let's all stand and let's gradually move to the table, get one of the cups, and then come back and be seated. All right, let's do that right now. Great job. So you're returning to your seats. As you can see, we have a little wafer. I was sharing with our group of worshipers in the first service. I'll be so glad when we get back to the Lifeway wafer. I don't like these kind of wafers. But you know, that's not what this is about, is it? I'm just being honest with you. So uh, let me just tell you, there's two covers. There's a little cellophane cover. That's this little top piece right here. And that'll get you to the first little element. Now, there's some people that believe that whatever element, when you take this, it's called transubstantiation, that you take it and it actually turns into the Lord's body when you begin to ingest it. I don't believe that. I don't think most people believe that. And I've challenged people, I'll pay for the procedure, eat it, and then I want to go have medically that removed. I want to have it tested to see if it has any of Jesus' DNA in it but no one's ever taken me up on that. But there are a lot of people that say this. No, uh, this is just the element. We could have all taken gloves and pulled an old piece of dry bread off today. Remember what Jesus was wanting to do. Let me read you his words again. As he gathered those disciples around that table, just a few hours before he paid this ultimate price, he, he was not only conveying a message to them about how important our relationship is with him, but he was setting a precedent for all of us thousands of years later. That, hey, as you can, as often as you can, when you take this together with other believers, some form of bread, some form of cup, let that represent something that you're thankful for. The body and the covering of his blood. Listen to those incredible words once again. And on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body for, for, for which is for you. My body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you would take that element now and eat it with me. Lord, thank you. How could we ever say thanks for what you have done for us? And Father, the torture and the abuse, whether it be that spear that stuck into your side, whether it be the humiliation of trying to drag that cross 
people spitting on you. Just, Father, your body was just beaten almost beyond recognition. Those soldiers that guarded you and, and, and beat on you and took your clothing. And Father, all the things that your body had to endure, we know it was broken for us. And so, Father, we stop today to say thanks. We come to this place again, taking the body of the giver and coming back to the giver, not in a social ramification, but in a deep theological belief that we are here and have a relationship because of what you've done for us. And Father, we thank you. We love you. And these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And then finally, if you'll tear off the big little cover there that's purple, be very careful. It'll slosh, it'll spill. And if you get something on you, Pastor Kevin's agreed to pay for all the cleaning bills today. But if you'll just take that, again, wine, juice, it's an element. It's something that reminds us and Jesus, after he'd taken that bread, the Bible records for us in the same way, after he took the cup, he said, now, this cup, this cup is, a, is part of the new covenant. You're not covered by any longer the blood of those animals from thousands of years. Doves and lambs and all different kinds of birds and livestock. But now there's a new covenant, Jesus said. Guys, it's gonna take place right in front of your eyes just in a short period of time. I'm going to be the one that dies. But the thing that's different about this new covenant, it'll be one sacrifice for all. One sacrifice for all time. And so he went on to say this, the covenant in my blood, a new covenant. Whenever you take that, would you do this for me? Jesus said, remember me. Remember me. Let's take this element together. Lord, we thank you for the incredible remission of sin being by the very covering of blood. Father, for those that came before the Lord Jesus, how were they saved? By looking forward to his coming. Temporarily, the blood of an animal had to cover them, but ultimately their salvation came to the fourth looking, the coming of the Savior. Father, for those, how were they saved? when Jesus walked on planet earth by looking to Jesus. Now, Father, thousands of years later, have all of these generations. How are we saved? By looking back to Jesus. For Father, we know that salvation comes through only you. Thank you for giving us this time to focus today. One step closer to you. Father, if this service has brought us just an inch closer to you today, if it has brought a heart to the place that they're willing to say, you know, I have been thankful, but really I have not been a person that has been exercising thanksgiving. I have not been going back to the giver. Father, then today's service would be completely worthwhile in every dimension. But Father, today I'll tell you what would make the service even greater. If there be someone here today that's been struggling, struggling with how to be saved,
struggling with really having their faith being real. Not a church connection, not a religious connection, but finally they're starting to see this is really all about a Jesus connection. And Father, if there be one today that would say, I want to give my life to Christ, that would be the greatest of all things in any service. For someone to come to that place in their life where they say, man, today I'm going to give the ultimate thanksgiving. I'm going to give my Jesus my whole life. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to get up out of the captain's seat of my life and give the full throttle and controls to my Savior. And I'm going to follow him and worship him. So, Father, if there be someone today that might be willing to make that commitment, then this would be the greatest of all services. Father, thank you for this time we've spent together. Thank you for the glorious time of worship. As we continue our time of worship together, would you, through your Holy Spirit, continue to do a great work in our lives. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.